Hey, Jews, this is a special summer camp episode. That means the kids are away. They're off at JCC camp or Ramah or Tel Yehuda or Young Judea or Camp Netanyahu or Jabotinsky Lake. And with the kids away, we are inclined to use adult language. But that means that if your kids are home, you have to send them out of the room so we can all yuck it up. That's your obscenity warning. Now stay tuned. I love Camp Netanyahu. Camp Netanyahu like that? Yeah. What would Lake. they do there? What would they do at Jabotinsky Lake in Camp, Camp Netanyahu? Camp Netanyahu ice cream social every night. <laughs> Hello, campers. This is a special summer camp episode of Unorthodox. I am your liberated host, Mark Oppenheimer. Two of my four kids are off to sleepaway camp. And now I get to relax in Argo Studios with Stephanie Butnick. Hello. Hello. And Liel Leibowitz. Our guests this week are summer camp historian Sandy Fox, summer camp podcaster Micah Hart, and summer camp devotee. Thunder. Mother of six, Jordana Horn Gordon, <laughs> uh, nine of whose six children are off to summer camp right now. Um, At this point, she just has her own summer camp. <laughs> it's just easier. Her house when you have six kids. Is a summer camp. By and bulk, yeah. Um, the interesting thing about Jordana Horn Gordon, I mean, some people, some of our listeners think six kids. She's just getting started, but Jordana actually is a conservative Jewess with six. She she may have more kids than any other member of a conservative shul in America right now. Um, she's also a great writer. Ken Yerbu. Yeah, she's been she's been on the Today Show. She talks about writes about parenting, talks about parenting. Second generation camper. Anyways, a summer camp episode. We've been playing this for a long time. I am so excited. So the bus has actually left like this weekend, this past weekend. And like, you know, we go to the mall and then all the bus, every single camp bus is there. They're like sort of in different places. When you're from Connecticut, you have to drive your kids yourself. Yeah. There's no bus. So we had, there was a New Jersey bus, a Long Island bus, and then like a Manhattan bus. And then everyone else had to fly. Back up. What was your camp? Point of Pines Camp for Girls. Where was it? Brant Lake, New York, 12815. And it was not officially Jewish, but it was... Yeah, so I'm in the subset of of camps that were just filled with Jewish people that were not like Jews. denominational camps. So it was like, it was a Jewish was camp. Was it kosher style? No. And it, I mean, I don't think there was pork served, but it wasn't, there was no like discussion of food. Of or what, God. Yeah, I mean... So and it was then basically it, the reform movement of Jewish but summer so, camps. But so, Leal. and yet we still send our kids there. Um... We there on Friday night there was a like a an optional uh, Shabbat service and you would just oh. go to get a piece of challah because it was just like delicious so there would be like six or seven girls there, but so to, for me so like I have a totally different camp experience than someone who went to like like a Romanic who just like got this like Zionist thing like this thing that I was or just habonim drawer or yeah. there was like a whole oh, someone told me they're like aren't you seem like such a habo girl and I was like oh so I in, have no idea what that means in my neighborhood in New Haven there's a, a few people who didn't know each other before they happened to be neighbors but it turns out they all came up through habonim drawer through I think which is labor socialist Zionist binational blah 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 anyway did you Leo your camp in Israel was you it was a very good camp <laughs> it was best camp what do you mean we fight with all other camp all the time. Did you have a camp? Did you oh, go to summer camp? Yeah, I was. A, what I was, was it? I was a. I was a scout for my entire life. But that's not. That's like every Friday school lets out early, so you can go scouting, right? Don't, and then, don't you all belong to scout? First units? of all, it's Wednesday and Saturday. Sorry. Second Whoa. of all, then you just you can um, scout on Shabbat. I was just thinking that. <laughs> of course, you can. In Israel, you can right. do anything on Shabbat. Yeah, yeah. it's Tel Aviv. Uh, scouting <laughs> is very spiritual. <laughs> and, uh, then, and then, and then in June, uh, you take off for for the woods. And you don't come back <laughs> until like October. <laughs> it's fantastic. Where boys become men. That's right. Boys do become or men. die. You know, at some point we had we had you know we were in the woods and there was really nothing to like cook on, and so my mission was to build some sort of makeshift cooking device. And I walked around, and the only available object in sight was a, a latrine. Uh, the latrine had a door. It was not a clean door, and I figured, you know, fire. It's got to kill some of that, right? And so that's what we ate You took off the door off. off the hinge? Yep. And you burned down the door? Uh, no, we just kindling. cooked on it. Oh, you cooked? That was our griddle. Wow. For the next three weeks. This is why Israel doesn't lose wars. That's we how resourceful ate, they we are. We ate shakshuka with feces. I mean, this is how <laughs> fucking hardcore we are. That's gross. Is that what Taylor Swift's Out of the Woods is about? Yeah. Are we out of the woods yet? Are we into the emergency room yet? And you know, you don't shower for like three weeks. It's amazing. That's like, like also regular camp. Really are it's like an where you, animal. It's where you demolish your first house, basically. It's where you uh, find little village and put it under siege. Put it under siege. Before visiting day, I remember there are all these girls. So I'm, They're also, I'm sorry, no visiting days. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> of course. So the night before, I, all these girls would be like blow drying their hair and like trying to look nice. And I was just like, what? why? My parents know like... 
how gross I am right now. It was just the funniest thing. That oh, there was like this active presentation involved. for your parents, for people's parents. Yeah. So listen, I got to tell my camp stories. Have I have I talked about the summer camps I went to on this show? No. So I went to three summer camps, each of which is the kind of summer camp that my dad wished he had gone to. Like what? Okay, the, so what, one is definitely socialist, right? So my parents <laughs> relived. Basically, my parents relived the childhood that they wished they'd had when they were in their thirty. In, that in their thirties, they thought this would have been nice when I was ten or eleven. Whether in fact it would have been nice or not. So listen, when Uncle Joe the, Stalin was still alive. Right. And so <laughs> the first camp I went to. Because I was Jewish was, of course, Quaker, right? Because, you know. Definitely. What's Quaker camp like? Right. So Quaker camp, there's this place called Farm and Wilderness. Right now, 117 of our listeners are thinking, Farm and Wilderness. I know someone who went there, right? It's very big in Jewish lefty Brooklyn. My first camp was Farm and Wilderness, which is actually five camps around a lake in Vermont. It's very, it's like the granddaddy of Quaker camps. It used to be the case, though it no longer is for certain reasons that will become clear to you in a moment, that at Farm and Wilderness... They um, just love the name Farm and Farm Wilderness. Wilderness. It's like They're, two things I don't want to their say. Founders, Jewish history. Farm, then wilderness. Their founders, the Webb family, the old, old, waspy Quaker Webbs, believed in five freedoms. They believed in – this is no joke. This was in the camp literature. They believed in Roosevelt's four freedoms, right, from his great inaugural address, and a fifth freedom, freedom from clothes. So they believed in freedom <laughs> freedom from want, freedom from hunger, freedom from fear, Freedom and from then freedom underwear. from clothes, and basically they were. Now, if you if you know anything about Quakerism, actually in its early antinomian days, they were they believed in the inner light, and they were actually quite radical. If the inner light said run around without clothes, you ran around without clothes. So there were a lot of very anarchist type Quakers, spiritually anarchist. They brought back that strain of Quakerism, and at camp, if you wanted to be nude, you could be nude. So there were games of like nine and ten year old boys playing nude volleyball. There were nude square dances. You could skinny dip and then towel off and co-ed? go to lunch. So. There was a boys. There were two boys camps, and on the across like two girls camps, and each had a separate little minor theme to it. It was five camps, and then there was like a teen camp that was co-ed, and who knows what went on there, right? But this was the summer I turned nine, and I was the one kid in the three hundred person boys camp who refused to go nude ever because I was appropriately modest because I'm a civilized person. So I wore a bathing suit. Always to swim. I refused to play nude softball. I refused. So I was the camp outcast for wearing clothes. That's amazing. So, so were those square dances co-ed? The square dances were actually faculty or camp. Like you'd sneak out at I'm night. I'm grateful for the story mainly because I don't have to imagine you naked now, right, right. which is good. So, <laughs> about as much, about as good as my not imagining you naked. I so, would have not been the chase one. So at all. Um, okay. So the next summer, I said to my parents, I got home. I said to my parents. What the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? So the next summer, they promised to send me to a camp where people were clothed. And they did. They sent me to the very, very famous Camp Kinderland, which is the granddaddy of all labor socialist, blah, 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 camp, like lefty camps. And it was Yiddish socialist, anti-religious. I, the bunk I lived in was Eugene Debs, which was right next to Joe Hill. And uh, all the bunks <laughs> were named after great lefty heroes. God. And on rainy days, we stayed inside. And we wrote letters to we, – we had took out a list and you found out who your congressperson was from your home district. And you had to write – I love that Noah's outside the booth laughing. And you took – and you had to write a letter to your congressperson on one of three issues. And I remember the one I picked was opposing aid to the Contras in Nicaragua. So I wrote to Representative Boland, please stop Mr. Reagan from sending money to the fascist Contras, blah, blah, blah. That was Camp Kinderland. I hold love, on, by on, the way, yes, yeah, so many things. But at our camp, you had to like write to your parents twice a week or you couldn't get candy canteen. But in your camp, you had to like write to your representative, to your representative two right. times a week. So at in the my camp, of- you're penalized for writing, period. So, Mark, I, I need, Leo. what were the cheer songs for the Eugene Debs? Also, song? how happy were you there? I could not have been more miserable. I mean, these camps were horrible. But didn't it like engage your inner... I'm not fundamentally that political a person, as we know. Like, I wanted to play tennis and capture the flag. And like, I wanted American... I wanted Wonder Years camp, you know? Did that answer your question, Leo? No, because I, I want I want the cheer. Like, we don't do Pesach. We don't do Lent. We hate the 1%. Uh, are, like, yeah. it was just stuff like that. You could write that. I've blocked... I really have blocked out a lot of that stuff. And do you think oh there's like God. a Bernie Sanders bunk now? Probably, probably. Oh, no, he's not left enough. So I later learned that in the 70s, there'd been like a big split between the Stalinists and the the Khrushchev, the ones who'd stayed Stalinist after the news came out and the ones who didn't. Like, is that the, the place- difference between like Kindering and Kinderland? Right. Huh? Kindering is like a whole nother camp. So is the same Kim Kinderland? Oh, is it Kim yeah. Kindering? Yeah. I don't know that one. Once they say in Kinderland, you know, once you go to the Gulag, you never, you never go back. So let me just finish. 
then I got home and I said yet again, what the fuck, <laughs> mom and dad? Like, do you not love me or something? Because <laughs> these are the most horrible fucking summers. So two summers, I took the next summer off and I think I had a delightful summer hanging out with my friend Derek and playing baseball and watching John Hughes movies. And then the summer after, we decided to give it one more try. And I think to punish, so I said, I want normal camp. So they sent me to Camp Lincoln Farm, which was somewhere outside New York City, and was just filled with the most horrible, materialistic, suburbanite people ever. And, and that like, was, yep, this is camp. This is camp. And that was the summer, you probably don't remember this, but Jams were big. Remember Jams? The colorful short, mm-hmm. colorful Bermuda shorts. It was a brand. And you had to have jams and okay. i didn't have jams so i was and all the kids because from great they, neck because they took them all and kept in their land <laughs> <That's right. laughs> they socialized yeah. and you're like, all I the wish underwear this one was a nudist one too <laughs> i'd be fine but i want to say this and and so i had i mean we, first of all i want to hear from people who attended any of those three camps and i know you're out there there was one kid at, at lincoln farm who was somewhat nice to me and his name was i'll never forget his name chris magenta i don't know who he is now he was an, a, a jew from brooklyn it's probably a magician Chris, if you're out there, <laughs> I want to hear from you. You were a decent guy that summer. That's all I got about summer. Wow. Top oh, wow. that. Top that, yeah, juice. No. Wow, that's like yeah. severe trauma. Yeah. Hello, mother. Hello, father. Here I am at Camp Granada. Camp is very entertaining. And they say we'll have some fun if it stops raining. Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award-nominated Best Play. Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamu, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by the New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's spring season of Jewish culture. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y. All right, guys, our first guest this week is a real camp expert. We've got Sandy Fox. She's a doctoral candidate at NYU studying Zionist, Yiddishist, and denominational summer camps. So she like is the real deal. She's also the founder and producer of Viber Teich, a bi-weekly feminist podcast entirely in Yiddish. Did I mess up the title? No, it's pretty good. Viber Teich. Very good. What does it mean? Basically, uh, back in the good old days in Eastern Europe, when women didn't have access to become literate in Lush and Koydesh, men would translate Jewish text into Yiddish. And it was called Viber Teich. Viber means wives or women, and Teich sort of means translation or sense. Basically, it's like mansplaining, the original mansplaining, oh, and we're amazing. flipping it on its Look head. Look at that. So I, I, I would like the first question. Uh, as, as the historian mm-hmm. of Jewish summer camps, how fucked up are Mark's summer camps? <laughs> Like, are these the worst stories you've ever heard? I mean, well, actually, just in terms of the fucked up part, well, I laughed last week. I listened to the the podcast last week to prepare, and I laughed when you said we're not going to get dark on camp week because camp can be dark sometimes, right? Like camp is is a microcosm of real life. And part of what I do when I study the everyday lives, like the texture of life at camp, um, and I look at the post-war period, there are moments that are troubling, right? Yeah, camp so, must have been really fun in 45. Like, <laughs> yay, we're going to camp again. Yeah, sure. Well, We've I mean, been in camp uh, from like 39 until well, 44, but like, okay. I mean, well, these Jews hadn't been, right? They were mostly second-generation Americans. The, the seven-year-old refugees who arrived are like, and now you're going to leave your parents for three months. We're going to put you right. on a train well, and go actually, off to the Berkshires. My favorite camp is one of those camps. So in 1959, there was a Bundist uh, Yiddishist sleepaway camp that was founded in upstate New York for the children of Holocaust survivors, and it was exactly that way. You will get on the metro north. I mean, but they love that camp. You will go to the camp (laughs) where we will give you soap and you will bathe. Jews obviously love to like take credit for like Jewish celebrities and all these sort of things. Did we like is summer camp a distinctly Jewish thing? Is sleepaway camp like do we get to claim this as our own? No. What? I know. It's I really don't want to disappoint. Um, Basically, Jews do do sleepaway camp different than than other groups do. Uh, Jewish camping began alongside kind of secular Christian camping. But these camps are not necessarily hospitable to Jews. And especially in like the the nativist 1920s, the tribal 20s, uh, Jewish camping really begins to take shape. But people who aren't Jews also go to camp. They just go to camp 
somewhat differently. Um, I would say that camp is often is more so a socioeconomic class issue than a than a Jewish issue, right? Other middle class or upper middle class Americans go to summer camp. So I was at my poker game. Uh, <clears throat> it's a poker game with a bunch of guys, uh, one of whom is half Jewish, two of whom are married to quarter or half Jews. Like they are Jew friendly people, but I am right. the only Jew there. And at one point, I said something about camp, and one of the other guys who's married to a woman who's who's Jewish said, oh, well, you know, of course, Jews love summer camp. And I had never heard this thing. And my immediately – and I don't, you know, I don't cry anti-Semitism easily. Like I'm, you know, I host a Jewish podcast. Like obviously, I'm pretty thick-skinned, right? But I felt so othered. I was like, what do you, what do you mean Jews send their kids to summer camps? And everyone around the table kind of nodded like, well, yeah. And this was a guy, again, who's married – he grew up middle class in Delaware, middle class – Catholic in Delaware, married a Jewish woman, was like, well, everyone in her family, they'd go off to summer camp, no, like back home. And I didn't even know what to, I didn't know this was a thing. And then it left me wondering, well, what do Gentile kids do in the summer? Like, are their parents, do their parents not get annoyed with them and say, we want you out of the house six day, six hours a day? Like, why would it be, even day camp, they seem to feel. See, I'm, I'm not from around here, but <laughs> I, my, my, my impression is exactly that. Like when I got here, like the people who go on and on and on about summer camp are always yeah, the Jews. Exactly. Like, yeah, no. And that there's, that's definitely and it includes true. Day why? Camp. Why is well, that? I what, think what is that, up okay, with so us? So again, okay, again, there's a little bit of the socioeconomic element, but even even for Jews that are not middle class or upper middle class, there's a ton of scholarship money on, going into Jewish going camping. But they're going with money too. Like, what, what do they do? Sure, they go to camp. Why, why aren't Buffy I, and, I and Miffy I don't know much excited. about actually today. I should say they went to camp. I'm not, I'm not a, I don't study contemporary um, America. Uh, I just live in it, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but, but you know, they did, they, they did go to camp. But, but Jews, uh, I think that, the Jewish camping sector became really, really strong and powerful, really well-funded, um, and made the case that the best form of Jewish education was going to be in the immersive, totalizing space of camp. And that basically only when you take the kids away from suburban, affluent, uh, you know, post-war America, can you make them into real or quote-unquote authentic Jews? And this is all in quotes. I don't believe that there's Authentic Jews a, or authentic Americans? Authentic Jews. I'm looking, oh, I mean, wow. no, there are definitely are assimilationist camps in the pre-war period. But in the post-war period, the camps I look at, like um, the Yiddishist summer camps, the Zionist summer camps, the denominational ones, they're really actually making the case for preserving and even producing the authentic Jewishness. It also quotes. it also occurs to me that another group that, as I think about it, that another group that does vacation camps, summer camps, whatever, is evangelical Christians, right? Yeah. That communities who think we have this charge to form our kids in a certain way, vacations are a good time to say, well, okay, enough with the public school. Like, we're going to go take you out of time and out of space and form you that way. And then it's actually just probably less of a thing in sort of broad church, liberal Protestant or lapsed Catholic America. They're not, they don't see vacation as this time to like give their kids a shot of right. sure. e of Jesus or Jew or whatever. And evangelical camps, they tend to be shorter, like one, yes, two they have one week, week Bible camps. Yeah, so eight week it's thing? really, yeah. okay. So I think that um, my, my guess I would say is that because Jewish camping started so early and they own their properties, that's a large reason. Why, <laughs> no, I'm serious. That's a large reason why they're longer. Like if I were to start a summer camp that propelled my idea, Ideologies, I would not be able to afford to do it for eight weeks, right? I would what have would to, it be, by the way? <laughs> <I was gonna, laughs> probably would be like a Yiddish-speaking summer camp. Yeah. It, it would be awesome if Rebecca came back from Ramah this summer speaking Yiddish. <laughs> like, it probably won't happen. I would pay a lot more to, for that. You have to pay for my future camp. But, you know, <laughs> if the academic tra track doesn't uh, work out for me, I'll, I'll be creating. Well, between you and, and Jordana, I mean, that's 10 kids. That's, that's a right. camp. We kind I'm of sure. are. Yeah. No, there are kids We're for keeping it. Ramah, so We're keeping Ramah alive anyway. It's yeah. so funny to think that as you're saying this, camp basically grew out of school. Right. Like we were they were just like sending us to more school and disguising it as like a fun place. And that we were just like nerds. <laughs> more school, but with archery. Camp with like a little bit of sports. A little bit out of school, but it also grew out of youth movements. Youth movements were huge. Back in the day, more more Jews were members of youth movements than, than went to camp. Can you explain to me why Camp Kinderland, where I went for a year, was filled with so many assholes? <laughs> I'm surprised to hear that actually because I've heard horrible. really wonderful things Little about Kinderland. No, they were they were Stalinist in every which way. Mm, I can't speak to that. Sorry. Can you tell us? Thought I'd try. Who yeah. invented color war? Like, how did we get this thing? Oh yeah, I have. <laughs> Where does it a come whole chapter from? that deals like with well with Maccabia color war, but also with Tisha B'av. Yeah, you can combine them in one chapter, and that's what I mean about the darkness. Um, but Maccabia or color war um, came out of 
camping more broadly, not a Jewish invention, but Jews really reshaped color war to serve their ideologies. So at a camp like Masad, which was a Hebrew speaking camp, every year the Maccabiah had a theme um, that had to do with Zionism and the teams were fighting up, fighting against each other. We're rep- representing, let's say, like different parts of Israel or um, whatever. So people reshaped these days to project um, their ideological aims. I was um, with my boyfriend's sister this weekend and he and she was telling me about color wars we were talking about this you episode. come like fiance i was just saying you can you can yeah, upgrade i don't him. really like you're, that you're word a couple of months from whatever <laughs> congrats oh you're supposed to congratulate me when i say fiance that's congratulations, congratulations. thanks guys so basically she was finger? saying she was saying she was talking about color war and so i went to a camp where color war was every sunday throughout the every year sunday and so it was it was totally different <laughs> from what camp was this point of pines it was no, okay. it was it was a camp where everyone was jewish right. not a jewish camp i don't study those but yeah. that's a worthwhile project but, if yeah ne- for your next one but no. so so what she was saying she was talking about color war and she's like you know at the beginning so we would do like ball pickup or the first the first day of color war was you had you just split up into teams and then you had to find all the balls that were like over the tennis court walls and like around the campus and volleyballs were more and soccer balls were more points and i'm like wait so you were just like doing the like you were just cleaning up that's for right. the end of the summer <laughs> that's totally finding all the was. missing balls so you don't have to buy new ones yeah i mean even simple things like cleaning at camp could be infused with ideology i mean it's all there's a lot of work at these camps so at kinderland we weren't allowed to win anything everything and mm. you could be winning 17 to 2 in volleyball or 20 to 2 and then they would stop the game and say it's a kinderland tie that's and funny. then i would lose my shit and i'd be like what do you mean it's a kinderland tie? like we're winning we're about to win you can't stop it now oh God. At my camp, we could win, but then everyone would say so everybody's much. a winner in Young Judea. That, that was how we like ended the and game. You're like, no, it's just not true. Like kids don't believe that. I had very little stake in these games, so I was like, sure, what's everyone's the, a winner. What's the most surprising anecdote you came across in your research? Like the craziest thing that went down at these. By the way, it would not camps. surprise you to to hear that in Israel it really doesn't work that way. <laughs> there yeah. has to be a clear. There are reason. no ties. That does not yeah. surprise no, no, no. me. Yeah. Color wars every day. Um, it's true. Uh, Israel is basically a color war. <laughs> And we're like blue is winning, <laughs> like big okay. time. Um, okay, so I have a lot of favorite anecdotes, and actually, I have a little blog where I I post Ooh, my how, favorite how get to funny it? things. It's called "P.S. I Lost My Blue Hat." Uh, it's a Tumblr. You can find it if you just look up "P.S. I Lost My Blue Hat." One anecdote that really struck me is at that same Bundes Yiddishist sleepaway camp for the children of Holocaust survivors. Uh, they had this yearly day called Warsaw Ghetto Day. <laughs> And one of the activities, oh one of the activities was building at least one year. I can't say it happened every year, but they would build a Warsaw ghetto wall as a simulation and then tear it down um, and do this very emotional uh, Warsaw ghetto Nacht uh, presentation and um, a little like tidbit a- extra anecdote to that is that uh, they also built memorials to the Holocaust at the camp, which then campers would guard overnight on Warsaw Ghetto Night. And w- one of the people who made one of the memorials um, was Daniel Liebskind. At the, architect. Where the architect. Where who, his career comes from. Yeah, so I spoke to him about two weeks ago on the phone. He was so nice and so generous with his time. And he was like, you just reminded me that my first Holocaust memorial was at Camp Hemshech when I was 16. This is the worst sequel to Wet Hot American Summer <laughs> <Yeah>. ever. <laughs> I know, and I do. I want to so say, want to make out by the Warsaw Ghetto Memorial. I love like, the no. fun stuff. I'm writing about hookups at camp. I'm writing about basically everything that went down. It just also are includes, there more hookups in Jewish camps than Goy camps? I mean, there are no statistics on that, but <laughs> I will say that camp directors made very little effort to stop it. With um, Jewish continuity, sure. Like I mean, they right. weren't as concerned with continuity in the same way we are now. Um, like they're not obsessed with it. Yeah, it's not an obsession. They're not using that term in my period, but they definitely don't stop it. Um, and alumni networks are super proud of how many marriages came out of um, their camps. I have to say, I think there are a lot of Jewish camps I would have liked. Yeah, I think you were you just had a specifically traumatizing experience three times. Yeah, so, I would have liked Jewish chess camp. I would have liked Jewish debate camp. Sure. Sandy, one final question for you. What is it like to host a podcast in Yiddish? And you can answer this in English or Yiddish. Like, give us a taste of what we might hear on, on, on Vibertaich. Really? You want me to do this in Yiddish? But then no one will understand me. Give us like a little yeah. English English well, and Yiddish. Like an inflected? Yeah. You want like an inflected? Um, is a feministish podcast of Yiddish. Was ich mache allein in der Heim. Um, ich mache interviewen mit kolerai Menschen. Was reden Yiddish? Uh, junge Menschen, alte Menschen, chassidische Menschen, weltliche Menschen. Und sie sehr schön, so ist das Amazing. Uh, vielen Dank. 
Yeah. So I'm gonna Sandy German. Fox, thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks and for having me. I brought you guys a Vibratite magnets. You got swag. Aww. That swag. is amazing. So sweet. That's how so to roll. Take those silly shoes off and go back to summer camp. And don't ever come back here, you look like you live in a tent. I'm wasted, it's a drunk as hell. Hey, J.Crew, it is time for some pod biz. Tonight, May 16th, I will be moderating a Zoom conversation with Rabbi Sharon Browse and Shai Held about each of their new books. That's at 6 p.m. Eastern and the final event in my Unpacking the Book series with the Jewish Book Council and the Jewish Museum. This one's on Zoom, so no matter where you are, I hope you can make it. And tonight is actually a doubleheader for me. If you're in the New York area, I'll be at the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan at 7.30 tonight in conversation with Israeli rapper and singer Jimbo J. He'll be performing and there will be delicious Israeli food from Chef Mushka, who made the famous Horosets at our Passover pop-up. You can find links to register for both of those events at tabletmag.com slash unorthodoxlive. We also have some great events coming up for tablet members in person and on Zoom. On May 16th, Catherine Wolf will be in conversation with Jews who refuse to back down against hostile crowds in various arenas, from municipal buildings, school board meetings, and of course, college campuses. She'll be talking with Club Z's Masha Merkalova, Safe CUNY's Avraham Goldstein, Attorney John Kovac, Mel Waldorf, Steve Goldberg, and UNC Chapel Hill student Daniel Stumpel. Also coming up, a warm and intimate Zoom for those who have lost friendships since October 7th. That's on May 21st and will be a great chance to connect and meet new people. And on May 30th, an in-person tablet meetup in Washington, D.C., hosted by Tablet's executive editor Wayne Hoffman and Catherine Wolf. That'll be at Char Bar at 6 p.m. You can become a Tablet member at tabletm.ag uomember and get more information about all of these events. Okay, back to the show. Our next guest today, also kind of a camp expert, uh, Micah Hart co-hosts the podcast Campfires and Color Wars, and he calls it a podcast for everyone who physically left camp years ago, but emotionally is still sticking their tongue in a battery-operated fan to see what happens. <laughs> I know exactly what happens. It like kind of hurts a little bit, right? Yeah, that's true. It hurts uh, only a second, but really just because the batteries drain out in about 15 seconds, so you can only do so much damage. I love the fans that sprayed water also. At my camps, those were confiscated as illegal gadgets. Okay, so what what prompted you to start a podcast about summer camp memories? And like, also, what camp did you go to? And are you obsessed? And with what that? happened to you yeah. there, man? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I grew up at uh, Henry S. Jacobs Camp in uh, Utica, Mississippi. Um, there are Jews in the South. Uh, people seem astonished by that fact every time they find out I grew up in Mississippi. Um, and I also went to a summer camp in Indiana called Gucci, which did not seem strange to us at the time, but seems very strange anytime someone finds out that fact. What, how did um, you spell it? G U C I, uh, Goldman Union Camp Institute. <laughs> <laughs> My God. That's what real Gucci should stand yeah, for, also. That's right. <laughs> right? I, I think it does. Um, but so my father was a camp director, um, and so I had no choice but to grow up uh, at summer camp, although I was pleasantly uh, thrilled that, uh, that I got to do that. And, you know, I'm just kind of like uh, the girl from uh, American Pie. Like, I just constantly referencing camp, telling stories about camp, driving people who didn't go to camp crazy with uh, the amount of camp memories that I bring up. And, you know, just thinking about how I wanted to have an, a reason to do that so I wouldn't seem so crazy. Um, but but in, all, in all honesty, I have so many friends out there who, you know, who grew up at summer camps also who just have such fond memories for that time. Uh, and as we get older, you know, things kind of start to fade a little bit. So it seemed like a great way to keep those memories alive and keep camp in my life, uh, despite the fact that I am uh, a little too old to go anymore. So we won't ask how old you are, but so as the child of the camp director, are you like an army brat? Like, what is that? Is there a term for it? <laughs> do you have special privileges? Like, you know, do you get extra food? What do you get? Yeah, so there's definitely a term for it. Uh, that's the staff brat. And uh, lots of camps, uh, you know, camp directors have little kids. They're running around all over the place. They think they own the place. There's definitely a stereotype of, of the staff brat behavior. I like to think that we weren't like that. I have two sisters. I like to think we were relatively well-adjusted. Um, but it wasn't so much that we got extra stuff as much as we were expected to know everything. And that was uh, very frustrating. I'd be, you know a nine-year-old in my cabin and, and everybody in camp is asking me what's for dinner tonight and what are we doing for evening program? And I'm like, I'm nine. I have no idea. Leave me alone. You're like, I'm hungry too. 
right. What uh, what is the deal with like the camp doctor and those like because that's always the parent of I feel like we'd had visiting doctors at my camp and it would be someone's father but it'd be like a plastic surgeon for a right. week like what were they what or was a that? psychoanalyst What's, yeah <laughs> like an ENT. <laughs> I think as long as they knew how to prescribe Tylenol and tell people to drink water, they could pretty much uh, cover cover their needs. So, um, Micah, I was as as you know, I was one of the uh, leading all time guests on your show on on Campfires and Color Wars, and that was a lot of fun. And um, so, when I was on your show, I I told my um, my camp horror stories, which I've now shared with Stephanie and Liel and the whole traumatic J crew. Um, but I don't flatter myself that those are the best stories you've ever gotten. Like you've been hosting this show now for for a year or two. What is just the craziest stuff that you've learned uh, about summer camp? Like, what are the anecdotes that are just singed into your memory forever? And try as you might, you can't shake them. Sarah, my uh, my co-host, um, always likes to say that uh, my my view of camp is is myopic. That uh, I'm I'm for some reason shocked to find out that people's experiences were different than mine. That's what my um, Sid always tells me. I think all of my experiences are normative, and everyone else is deviant. <laughs> I still think there's some truth to that, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, but so we had uh, a few weeks ago um, a woman uh, who went to Camp Tyler. I don't want to, say, I want to call it Tyler, Tyler Hill. Hills. Yeah, I'm yeah. familiar. Yeah, Stacy Davidowitz, um, who is a children's book author and has written a bunch of books uh, set at a summer camp. And their color wars at their camp is six days long. And I cannot process that because the camp color wars that we had was just a day. And it was so emotionally intense uh, that stringing that out over six days, just that seems like, like the Olympics So that, uh, that in terms of... Is part of my qu- it's sort of what I'm curious to ask you about. So, so Tyler Hill is sort of like Indian Head and Bryn Mawr and Point of Pines. These are all these sort of camps in the Northeast where people that I knew went, right? And they weren't Jewish camps. They weren't, you know, affiliated with the congregation. But what I didn't realize till after was, was that I'd say 90% of the people there were Jewish, right? Like I just, right. I, it wasn't something I thought about. Um, it was just sort of, it, it was how it was. And so I think, and so I was just telling our last guest, we had Color War every Sunday for the for eight weeks and then it ended wow. with Team Sing. So I think Color War actually f- might be serving a different function at these camps. Well, maybe so. And I, I, I suppose in hindsight, I, I would have liked to have tried it, something like that, because <laughs> I'm so competitive. Um, I love Color Wars. It was my favorite thing. And famously, we did not do Color Wars at my dad's camp. Um, because my dad believes in a utopian society where there are no winners and no losers. Uh, I shouldn't say no winners. Everybody's a winner. Uh, just no losers. <laughs> so wait, what else was like the ideology of that camp? It was all about uh, there's enough time for failure and feeling insecure during the rest of the year. He wanted camp to be the place where, where every kid felt comfortable. And so we did not have dances. Um, you couldn't strike out on the baseball diamond. And, uh, and it's funny, uh, a, a previous uh, host of the show, Judy Becker, loved to say that uh, you, you'd think that not letting people strike out was, uh, was, was a boon to their self-esteem, but if you really sucked at sports, uh, it was actually the opposite <laughs> of that. And if you had to stand up there and take 15 hacks at it, uh, it wasn't really accomplishing what they wanted it to accomplish. It's like cruel and unusual. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I have a question that I think is for, it's, it's for Micah, but also for Stephanie. Um, I don't really know how to phrase this without sounding, I don't know, less than my best self. Is this going to be like part of your thing about hating like Long Island and people who send them, their kids to camp that isn't like rooted in Jewish values? Kind of actually. What I was going to ask is, so, you know, in the Ramah world, right? Like sometimes you hear stereotypes that the kids at one Ramah will say, well, that Ramah is the one where all the Japs go. Or that's the Ramah <laughs> where that's the one where they show up with like 20 party dresses and makeup and stuff like that. And I guess I'm curious, there is a real thing going on where certain camps, what they promise is we're going to give you an escape from the materialist values that you have the rest of the year. And certain camps are like, we're the camp where kids can get dirty. And we're the camp. And I, I'm really, I don't really know how to phrase this. At, you know, for once I'm at a loss for words. Like, is there something that goes on where, summer camps are a place where middle or upper middle class Jews among others negotiate this question of like do we have too much money and stuff during the year do we give our kids a utopia from it and like do camp how do camp directors handle that as well which is something your dad had to do so I, I'll take a stab at this but then let you go second Micah um so at our camp, we had a uniform, right? And that, that was purposeful. Like, so it was an all-girls camp, and we had to wear a white shirt with a logo and blue shorts. And like, yes, everyone wanted the bulldog, bulldog shorts one year or the MJ Sophies one year, but everyone had to wear the same thing. And that was a really important thing. And th- I think that's the case at a lot of these camps. 
especially someplace, I think, like Bryn Mawr, another all-girls camp, where you do get a lot of people from upper-middle-class backgrounds. So there is definitely an attempt made to sort of take us away. Of course, then, you know, when you're an inter-A, you can wear a different shirt to a social, but you have to wear jeans. And then there is, you know, within that, the girl with the Prada backpack. Like, there always is. But there's such a... That's a title of something, the girl with the Prada backpack. Like, there, you know, you always know stuff like that. But people don't really care as much. And I think that in, in a sense that you are collecting, in any case, people of similar socioeconomic backgrounds and just like throwing them into bunks. I would say there was definitely a, an emphasis made on this being an escape. Don't bring, you know, like wear your Tiffany bracelet, but like not to swim lessons, you know, like there's there's definitely like an, an attempt there. Right. What do you think, Micah? I definitely think, uh, you know, it's certainly uh, in its best uh, state. It's meant to be that. It's meant to be that escape. Um, but it does seem like it still manages to seep through in some ways. Uh, you know, if it's not someone having a Gucci bracelet, it's their parents sending them this, you know, six foot tall care package every other day. Um, you know, that was kind of how you knew who, I guess, who had money or whose parents cared about them. Love them uh, the My most. dad sent me three-day-old sports sections. So my dad used to tight. clip out Yankees box scores and send them to me. That's so sweet. The other one you get is you hear the stories about the kids who show up with two cell phones, the one that will be confiscated, and then the one that they <laughs> that they still have for calls home. What Our, our second-to-last year of camp, they split up all the bunks because we sort of like lived together the, the next year, and so they wanted to prepare us. So they split up all the bunks, and then within 10 minutes of us getting to camp, they were getting calls from parents who were obviously had been called on like covert cell phones to like <laughs> campers called crying that they were separated from their best friends. And the camp counselors were, I mean, the director was like, okay, give us all your cell phones. We know you have them. <laughs> so Micah, one last question for you. How much do people fall into the Ramah category, the Habonims, the sort of Yiddish Zionist camps or the sort of more secular camps? How would you describe sort of the, the lay of the land? I would say most of our guests that have been Jewish have been a sort of the extended uh, sleepaway summer camp. Um, so, you know, four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks. Um, but we've also had guests who grew up at like scout camp, um, you know, sports camp, things like that, that were more like week to week. Uh, and that is such a different experience uh, than what I'm used to, for sure. I can't imagine getting to camp on a Sunday uh, and it being over, you know, six days later. Uh, I, I guess if the whole thing was color wars, that would have been awesome. But I think a lot of them were sort of um, kind of like what you said, Mark. If it wasn't Jewish in name, it was certainly Jewish in uh, attendance. But but for the most part, everyone seemed to have kind of similar memories of, you know, growing up, learning lessons about themselves, feeling free, you know, having their first experiences of various kinds. So speaking of uh, uh, first experiences, Micah, is everyone's first kiss in summer camp? Not uh, mine. Not, not mine. mine. <laughs> if you are a complete nerd at home, um, definitely. <laughs> my, uh, my friends uh, from home uh, famously did not believe that I had girlfriends at camp because I never did at school. Um, but, uh, you know, I finally got to bring someone home, uh, my wife and, uh, and they, they, they couldn't refute it anymore. Um, but I definitely think that, uh, wait, you, you know, met your wife at summer camp? summer camp, you met your wife at summer camp. Uh, no, I wish. Um, just the fact that I brought someone home, period. Oh, okay. Uh, that I had actually, uh, <laughs> See, I told you my imaginary that. girlfriend was so real. Wait, Mike, are you saying you were camp hot? Uh, I camp don't hot? think I was yeah. camp hot. <laughs> I don't think I would be have been considered. Is there a camp different high. value I have, system? I have friends who were definitely camp high. Hold sure. on, like if you're like a six at high school, are you like an eight at camp? Is there like a like a number inflation there? Uh, it's more than that. I'd say it's more like if you're a five at home, you you could in the right circumstances be like a nine at camp. Wow, I was debate hot. Still <laughs> yeah, are, Mark. And, 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 yeah. <laughs> Micah, how can our listeners who obviously love summer camp listen to your podcast? Yeah, um, so you can find us on all you know podcast uh, network uh, you know apparatus. Uh, it's Campfires and Color Wars. Uh, we re- release our episodes uh, every other Thursday. And uh, we're always looking for interesting new guests to tell their their summer camp memories um, stories. My my uh, my white whale is uh, Jennifer Goodwin. I don't know if I remember telling you this, Mark, or not, but uh, the actress. That's my claim to fame. Is uh, Jennifer Goodwin and I dated for for 24 hours at summer camp? What? Ooh, that is strong. <laughs> you definitely were camp hot. You. <laughs> she was camp hot. <laughs> Micah Hart, thank you so much. We Thanks, really Micah. appreciate you being here. Yeah, thanks, guys. Love the show. All right. Love yours. Now's the time to tell you that Gal Gadot and I went, uh, <laughs> <laughs> went, went to scout camp together. That's right. All 
Our final guest today is my friend Jordana Horn, who is, um, in addition to being a terrific writer about parenting, you can find her stuff at kveller.com. You can see her from time to time on the Today Show talking about, what were you talking about, Jordana? Oh, the the benefits of not doing everything for your kids. Yeah, but you had a a clever name for it. (laughs) No rescue. No rescue parenting. If your kid forgets to bring something to school, just... Fuck them. Um, exactly. Anyway, Jordana, Jordana <laughs> Horn is, in addition to being a terrific writer about parenting and Israel and Jewish stuff and other things, is a mother to six, which makes me look like a real piker. So um, one imagines that she and her husband have written some camp checks from time to time. Jordana, welcome to Unorthodox. Thank you very much. I'm sorry that I can't be in there with you, but I actually had to take my child to the bus leaving for camp. You always have that excuse. Every time we try to book you, you're only in New Jersey, like 12 miles as the crow flies. I know. And it's always like, oh, I got to do something with a kid. Like at this point, isn't it cheaper for you to just like buy a summer camp? (laughs) So there is going to be a point. We were actually talking about this just the other day, and I think there will be a point where um, it'll make more sense to have our own camp. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it might even make more sense to, like, you know, go somewhere for a month with everybody. And uh, I was always envious out. of people who got to do that. It seemed very like you'd go to, like, the, the, the countryside somewhere in Europe. And I was like, oh, how classy. Right. You need well, a Dasha somewhere. I mean, yeah. as, long, as long as, you know, as long as they have alcohol there, I, I, I think it could work out <laughs> very nicely. So, okay, six kids. Where are they all at camp? Are they some of them doing shorter? Some of them where? Like, right. So, so the youngest is two. Um, so, so she's she a, she's is an not at camp. overnight camp. Um, <laughs> so th- this is her first time actually at like a drop off, be by yourself kind of thing, and it's a whopping like two hours a day. So um, she's there, and her older sister, who is three, is also there, but she has a longer day. Then the next two are at a day camp that's pretty local. It's about a half hour away. And then the top two are boys. And number two uh, just left today, and he goes to Camp Ramah. So the bus just departed this morning um, from a parking lot full of anxious Jewish parents. He goes for seven weeks. So he just left today. And then his older brother... He goes the second month of the summer. He goes to an art camp in South Jersey, which I just discovered uh, Jonathan Adler is an alum oh. of this art camp. So it so. works, is what. <laughs> so uh, apparently, but, you know, I, I was like, oh, no, what, like, if Jonathan Adler went to this camp, like, why is it, uh, like, it's, it's kind of dumpy, you know? Like, you would think it would be like, he- oh, well, if Jonathan Adler went here, like, the bunks would have, you know. Well, the pottery like, studio is like throw, throw and, yeah, yeah, exactly. So exactly. you're you're a pretty committed, conservative-oriented Jew. Do you feel? And your kids are in public school, right? Correct. So do you feel like summer camp is like this this mainlining injection of Judaism, or I mean, how do you see it fitting into their <laughs> I do. into their Jewish um, into their Kinderstube? Yeah, exactly. I, you know what I think? Um, there's a real value to learning that Judaism is something that. It's not just in your life through your family structure and through the fact that, you know, we build this weird hut in our backyard eight days of the year, but it's also this whole thing about you can go somewhere and be with a community of Jewish kids. Um, I feel the Shabbat experience at Jewish camp is very special, and I think the whole idea of, you know, he's at this camp, I mean, this is where... I learned certainly Birkana uh, Mazon and... Um, and uh, there's the davening element, but there's also just the social piece of these are kids who obviously the families have um, determined that this is something that's important to them as well. So it's really a community, both the people who are there and the alumni, and it's, it's a really nice and important thing. And so it, it sort of makes a kid see that Judaism is uh, portable, uh, kind of experience that they can individualize and make their own. But my recollection is that, like me, you hated summer camp as a kid, right? I sure did. Um, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. You know, I'm not making any bones about that. I'm. I'm really like. I'm really nerdy, and I, I remember going to camp and just being like, I, I really like. They're making me be outside a lot. Um, there's a lot of like activity and moving around. I have a whole like trunk full of books that's right here that I would I would really rather just be sitting and reading. Um, and that was, you know, people, I remember opening the trunk and people were like, wow, you have a lot of summer reading. Maybe I'm like, this is for fun. Sure. Um, and that was a little, you know, 
was like kind of embarrassing. It sort of marked me from the beginning. It's like, mm, this is not for you. So when you have but, a couple of your kids away for, for weeks at a time and then the rest, I mean, you have more quiet, peace and quiet now than during the school year. Is this, is this, this is actually, I mean, this is the first time, this is the first time within, um, my experience as being a parent of six that there has been even a moment of the day where there are no children here. Wow. In the house. Are you enjoying it? I mean, it's been all of like, <laughs> it's been all 10 minutes. Ten minutes yeah. but oh, at this point, do you hear like minutes. phantom children? <laughs> <laughs> You'll finally have the opportunity to sit and read books, which is what you wanted to do. Uh, since what I wanted child. to do for so This long. is like that Twilight it's Zone crazy. episode, right? About like the person who just wants a quiet moment to read and then his glasses <laughs> shatter. So my mom and I always used to have this joke. I think it's based on a New Yorker article at some point, but it was about like parents going down to their like vat of martini, like a martini cellar downstairs that they open when the kids go to camp. And we always joke about it. I have no idea where it came from. I texted her this morning and she's like, I think it was like a New Yorker article. I always imagine it as a cartoon. But so what happens when the kids go away? I know your sort of your situation is different, but typically is there ever like too much quiet for people once their kids go away? So in my town, um, and I'm not, I have no idea. This could be just suburban legend. Um, I have been starting to investigate this purely out of curiosity rather than any um, desire to become involved. But there was a rumor that over the summer when the kids are at um, overnight camp, there's a local bar and restaurant that becomes a swinger's place. Oh, um, like, you know, when the kids are away, the parents will play. I mean, to me, there's uh, the idea of swinging doesn't particularly appeal to me, but it certainly doesn't appeal to me like with, you know, future like carpool buddies, team coaches. Yeah, more likely the kids are away. I'm going to sleep for six hours. On the other hand, Jordana, on the other hand, as a journalist, you would be delinquent if you didn't at least yeah, and try to figure out if this is true and pitch that piece to tablet because so no because you're from a fairly so jewish town like as Agreed. this is there's a jewish angle to this as a journalist you owe it to yourself and us to find out if Agreed. this is true and i also i now have like a i now have more of a chance of success cuz in past years i've brought that up with john that i really wanted not to swing but to investigate the rumors and, you know, maybe flesh it out for a piece. And John's like, you are tremendously pregnant. <laughs> um, he's like, I I, I'm like, what are you saying? Like, this is not appealing. He's like, I'm just saying you don't really look like someone who would like, uh, be yeah, interested the in that for like, you know, a non insidious purpose. The most amazing thing is that like, while all everyone's kids, the idea that everyone's kids are like away at camp making out for the first time and that all the parents are making out with each other also. <laughs> There's just right? like indiscriminate hookups over the summer for everyone. I mean, basically, it's a big Cheever story is what it is. She's writing her own Cheever story. I knew you were the right guest to have on this Not show. Not to make things more PG, but when I went to camp, we had we brought disposable cameras. And at the end of the summer, you would develop them all and see all your pictures. Obviously, that's so different now. So what role does social media play as both a parent and a camper? Like, Can you check pictures of your kids every day? Yeah, you can. I, I think it. I think that's a very easy way to go totally crazy. Um, as exemplified by me, my son's first summer at camp when they posted a picture of him. Uh, he was wearing a hat. He was standing behind a kid. Something about the shadows and the way that he was standing. I mean, he looked happy, but um, it looked like he was blue, like his face was blue. And I showed it around to a couple of my friends. I'm like, does he look blue? And they're like, yeah, you know, laugh it off. But in the meantime, you know, I'm like calling the camp. I'm like, is he okay? <laughs> Did you turn my son like, blue? They're like, hang on, let me transfer you to the crazy Jewish mother hotline. Like, please hold. So um, the crazy thing is that... Wait, was he blue? Her he son was not, was not blue. blue. No, no, he was not blue. Can I just he do... Was, the whole regular pigmentation. They now do this thing where you can email a, a letter line and they will print the email out and give it to your kids. Basically, it's just letters, but they will print out your emails rather than forcing you to write that letters. Sucks. This this Correct. upsets me to distraction. I was like, why on earth can't and, – and so – and Sid sends emails and I write paper letters and the grandparents write paper letters. Like, we, whatever. We're – we're not technology averse. If it's there, we use it. But like, where did the demand come from? Who were the moron parents who basically cajoled the camp directors and saying, well, we, we, we're not going to use stamps. You, you got to print out our emails for us. 
That's well, like, I will say this. So they can't email you. You know that, right? Like, right. in other words, they have only to write parents letters. or the people on the outside can email in, but they can only handwrite letters out. Not only um, can they only write hand letters out, they're required to yeah. write a couple times a week to somebody. So they, it's like homework for them. To their senator. Was, uh, or, uh, this was a friend of mine said that going into the dining hall, they had to give like a stamped envelope home, you know, sealed stamped envelope in order to like get into dinner. So a friend of mine, the parent, received um, just blank, blank envelopes pages in an envelope at home. Wow, that is cold. It is cold. Hey, Jordana, thank you so much for being with us. Um, oh, thank you. Your work is all over Google, but do you have a web? Do you keep a website of your of your stuff? Um, there's a website, and I maybe one of the things I'll do this summer will be to actually update it. Anyway, so Jordana yeah, Horn, JordanaHorn.com. One of my favorite writers, not least because she makes me feel like my life is calm. So thanks for being with us. <laughs> I try. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Ready or not, here comes Mama. Mama's talking loud. Mama's doing fine. Mama's getting hot. Mama's going strong. Mama's moving on. Mama's all alone. Mama doesn't care. Mama's We'd like to take a moment to welcome to the other side of the studio glass, Noah Levinson. Who, of the Ira Glass ceiling. Of the Ira Glass uh, window, who brilliantly edits our show and chooses our music and all that stuff. Um, makes us sound good. Makes us sound good. Cuts out the embarrassing moments. Uh, Noah Levinson, welcome. It's good to be here. Now, um, you are not here for the next couple weeks because you're going on the birth. I'm, I'm going on my own summer camp <laughs> uh, experience. That's right. <laughs> so you're going to Israel? Yes. Tell us about that. Uh, I was running out of eligibility years for Tugleet, for Birthright. So I'm going next week uh, with, I don't know, I guess like a bunch of uh, 18-year-olds from McGill. Right. So Birthright is, or for those Jews who don't, for the last three Jews in the world who don't know, Birthright <laughs> is for 18 to 26-year-olds. It's a free trip to Israel. Yeah. And they, but they organize you usually by campus or by, but you as a single adult non-student, <laughs> they attached you to McGill University? No, no. That was, a, I, I don't know who's going to be on this trip. It's funny to me to imagine a bus full of people who like just slid in under the birthright <laughs> deadline as opposed to these like nubile 18 year olds like yeah. having the time of their life. You guys it's are like, like the expendables, Scotch, right? Please. Yeah. <laughs> We're 26. We're too old for this shit. What's the latest that I could make Aliyah not have to serve in the army? Uh, probably 30. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But you want to serve in the army. Right. It's amazing. It's like rush. the army is summer camp for three years with guns. It is Fucking fantastic. What are your thoughts like before going? Have you been to Israel before? I've never been. Are no, you I have. What are you I've, most excited about? So I'm, I'm pretty excited for, I'm going to be staying in Israel for another six weeks after my trip. Uh, I'm going to be editing the show from there. What would be hilarious like, is if the show gets like more and more like yeah. Hebraicized and Zionist and like <laughs> all of a sudden, right? All of a sudden, like all it, it's all versions of Hatikva. And, and, like, <laughs> all the songs are like Hebron, our city forever. Yeah. So I'm just going to be bumming around. Like I don't have a place to say. I've been like reaching out to friends of friends. I have somebody at a uh, yeshiva who said like, Amazing. come take classes with us. But he's going to Aisha Torah. Basically, he's he's never coming back. He's going to get that is what my my mom and grandpa are terrified of. So you guys both went on birthright, the two of you, right? So I did uh, something Stephanie weird. Stephanie and Mark. Your whole life is he birthright. Lived birthright. That's right. <laughs> so what we did was a few years ago, I think it was actually five years ago, tablet, we embedded on a birthright trip. So five reporters went, they knew that we like basically emailed a bunch of people on the trip to say like, hey guys, we're journalists, we're on your trip, and we're going to be writing about everything you do to find like, but the, basically to show the behind the scenes of birthright. No one liked it. <laughs> we're like, and you guys can blog too. I love the idea that if like two undergrads hook up on Bedouin tent nights. Stephanie's there with like, like a, no- a notepad. <laughs> being like, Would you say, are you enjoying this? Yeah. This is awkward. When- Will you talk tomorrow? So I, the crazy thing was like, we would like hike the Negev all day and then stay up blogging all night. So it wasn't a normal experience. But I do feel like, and it also wasn't, a, I think on purpose, it was not a drinking trip. So I missed the whole drinking culture. So I went on Birthright as a grad student with, um, I was a grad student at Yale and I went with the Yale undergrads who were sharing a bus with Emery. Um, damn damn and what was fun so I had a great time it was wonderful it was my first time to Israel my first of now what's two times and um, (laughs) one of the girls from Emory her brother had gone on birthright a few years early and met his wife on birthright so her mother her mother basically was like 
Rachel, I forget if it was Rachel. Let's call her Rachel. Like <laughs> you're going on this trip. You're going to meet a, you're going to meet a nice, Jewish, you're going to meet a husband on this trip. And she had like 10 days and she was, I would watch that show. Oh no, my this, God. Is, that's a great But also, you know, show. birthright pays for your honeymoon. That's not a joke. If that's, you meet your if spouse, you meet your spouse birthright, birthright, they'll, I think they'll send you to Israel. To Israel. Yeah, of course. Yeah. No way. One way ticket. That's Are amazing. you motivated now? Are you, do you want to meet someone I, in- I think it's like the only way I can rebel. The reality of any religiosity, and this is true if you're Catholic, if you're Jewish, if you're Protestant or whatever, is like, if you move one click to the right or left, that actually will be perceived as a rebellion. Right. So actually, like, you don't have to go Orthodox. Just come home and like, just, you know, um, start keeping kosher. That'll do it. That'll do all the work. Start editing a Jewish podcast. Yes, that'll do all the work. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, yeah. they love that. So what are you expecting to find vis-a-vis the Israelis? Besides who, who do you imagine you're going to meet? It's a country full of six foot five. Yeah. <laughs> I really don't know. What's your imagination of us? Is like a land of like crazy bearded giants. Like what? What is? Yeah. Well, right. So I always like when sort of the stereotype I'm expecting is going to be subverted. So I've been told Israelis are extremely rude, pushy, impatient. <laughs> yeah, sure. It'll uh, be subverted. <laughs> um, hey, did you pack bags alone? Whereas I am like the guy at Dwayne Reed who like waits, who lets people cut him in the. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You never know. Is it one line? Is it two lines? Yeah. Oh man. Um, but if you guys have like recommended, or more importantly, unorthodox scene. Yeah, listen, yeah, yeah. Crowdsource, let's crowdsource this. Mother. I'm going to be in You are at noah.a. Can we give out your email? Why not? Sure. Not You're send, it, send it to the owner. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> send it to our Orthodox. Yeah. All right, send it to me. I'll handle this. Send it to Moppenheimer at tabletmag.com. If you want to buy Noah a drink in Israel, if you want to give him a place to stay, if you know a nice yeah. uh, single eligible If you would like to Israeli, yeah. from, from Indoctr- fornicate with Noah. Him, yeah. Yes. yes. Indoctrinate, fornicate, anything you want. Noah anything. is available <laughs> in Israel from uh, July. From July, from like July 23rd to through the end of August. Until like the I'm, end of Elul, you mean. Let's that's right. From mid-Tammuz to late Elul, you have no... I'm your guy. I'm like sad that we're not going to see you every week. I'm going to miss you. Like I'm excited for you and your personal journey. But this is going to be amazing. But no, my really, personal journey won't be as good. My advice would be, and it's, I know this is not, you don't need this advice, but like stay open-minded. Like learn, just absorb everything. Like don't, just listen, don't speak, which for me is hard. But it really is, you know, I mean, it's the advice of travel in general. But. And now I will give you uh, another piece of advice. Uh, do the exact opposite. Speak all the time. <laughs> do not listen. Just go wild. And you would fit right in. The man. funniest thing about Israel is like, you know, when you go to Europe, people just like don't like Americans and you don't really want to speak English. People love Americans yeah. in Israel. Yeah. They're like, oh, where are you from? Where are you from? Are you going to make a liah? And you're like, no, but I will have the hummus, please. <laughs> uh, anyway, Noah Levinson, have a wonderful trip. Keep us posted. We asked for camp memories and you sent them. Here's one from Adam Diamond in Porter Ranch, California. Picture it. Camp Rama, Ojai, California, 1989. I'm 14 years old. The camp had brought in Craig Taubman, who was the song guy for new Jewish music. My friends and I were forced to go, but we weren't going to jump around and sing and dance to Craig's music like 99% of other campers. But he came into the audience, grabbed my arm, and literally pulled me up on stage as he continued to sing and dance around me. My friends at this time were pointing and laughing at me on stage. There I was, on stage, standing perfectly still with just a grimace and a look of embarrassment. I wasn't going to give in and pretend like I was having a good time. After that painful song ended, I walked back to my friends as they continued to laugh at me. Today, when I hear a Craig Taubman song, I'll actually sing along because he has some really good stuff. But I also think about how he humiliated me, a nerdy 14-year-old boy, in front of the whole camp just for singing and dancing pleasure. P.S. Craig, if you're listening to this, I forgive you. Another camp memory, this one from our super listener and frequent correspondent, Judith Clow. Hi, Jewies. I did go to Jewish camp, but it was during the Shasha years of Judaic life in Massachusetts. So on Friday nights, we were white, lit non-denominational candles, and sang Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. On the other hand, we always made a mozi before eating. Another camp memory, this one from Eric Winnick, who is now the chief marketing officer of the JCC Manhattan. Hello, Jews. It was summer 1979 at Camp Simcha in Middleton, Massachusetts, and my bunk, Yegor, part of the Chalutzim unit, was given the option of participating in Israeli dance or auditioning for the camp musical, a truncated version of Gilbert and Sullivan's HMS Pinafore. 
given I have no rhythm whatsoever and enjoyed Israeli dancing about as much as, well, Israeli dancing, I opted for the addition. To my surprise, I wound up nabbing a lead role. The show was as successful as Camp Musical could be, and I then went on to act, write, and direct in both high school and college. Then, in New York, off and off, off, off Broadway. A desire to keep a roof over my head led to jobs in arts administration, and in 1999, I became the marketing director for a prominent off-Broadway theater, a position I held for 15 years. In 2014, with theater out of my system, I applied for and got the job as chief marketing officer at JCC Manhattan, where I oversee the marketing of a variety of areas, among them three-day camps. So I suppose it's fair to say that had I chosen Israeli dancing that day in 1979, my life might have taken an entirely different direction. That is amazing. I love that one so much. <laughs> I mean, the kids where my kids go. Eric Winnick. <laughs> Another camp memory, this one from Matilda Sharon. Camp had a rocky start. I wasn't a Chicago native, just a summer inhabitant due to my parents' transient ways. Showing up to the Park District's counselor orientation as the lone soul in a sea of people who clearly went through 12 grades together felt like being the new kid in class for the umpteenth time in my life. To punctuate my angst, of course the guy who yelled the loudest and exerted the most enthusiasm about every training activity would turn out to be a fellow art camp counselor. You probably know where this goes from here. It turns out he had the right taste in music. We bonded over both having the sense of humor of a 12-year-old boy. All the campers adored him, and by the end of the summer, so did I. Flash forward seven years, and we're about to celebrate our first anniversary as husband and wife. Among the many things that have made year one of marriage so special, discovering unorthodox hat tip to Molly Yeh, and listening to it over dinner, laundry, and road trips ranks pretty darn high. So shout out to Matt Sheeran, my best friend and unconditionally loving Ashka Normative husband. You've more than made up for a childhood without summer camp. Another story of summer camp love, this one from listener Leah Marcus. Do I have a summer camp tale for you? Growing up, I knew pretty much one thing was certain. I would attend Cleveland, Ohio's own JCC overnight camp, Camp Wise, the summer before seventh grade, as my two older siblings had before me. But in sixth grade, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, and my overnight camp fate was sealed when my parents learned of the availability of a two-week-long juvenile diabetes overnight camp in Newberry, Ohio. While I was able to meet some fantastic people and develop lifelong friendships, I still missed quintessential Jewish overnight camp experience. Nevertheless, all was well, until I met the man who would become my husband. Upon meeting for the first time, we immediately began to play the classic game of Jewish geography, only to discover that despite growing up in completely different cities, we had a great number of friends in common. The common thread? JCC camps and that elusive camp-wise experience. The place where he spent summers singing Cat Stevens, Simon and Garfunkel, and Peter Gabriel songs with my childhood best friends. The beloved camp-wise where he developed a crush on his camp counselor. My sister. I tease my parents, who always stress the importance of marrying a Jewish man, that they may have caused me to miss my opportunity to meet the man who would become my husband. But it seems we did a good job of missing each other all on our own, meeting each other some 13 years later. Beshert is Beshert. Our final listener camp story from Brenda Becker. Greetings, Unorthodox. Love your show. My summer camp experience was Kupa. My mom would spend big bucks on Atlantic City Steel's fudge, one pound bucks, and mail it up to me and my sister at camp. Yet we never saw it. It was immediately confiscated and packed away in the candy cabinet in the main dining room. Imitating kibbutz living in upstate Pennsylvania, on treat night, we somehow were on the wrong side of the cafeteria when the fudge was distributed. Never even got close to eating that fudge. Never even saw it. Just the experience of unwrapping it and handing it over. Oh, Brenda Becker. That's a heartbreaking one yeah, to end really on. really sad. My socialism will never work. It takes fudge, for, takes candy from children. Leo, this whole episode I've been wondering... Do you think it's funny to think about like young sheltered American kids like pretending they're at Zion, like playing na- like on yep. teams named for things in Israel? Yep. Have you just been like rolling your eyes on the inside this whole I'm time? Not rolling my eyes. I'm 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 amazed. I'm delighted. I'm you know not surprised. But that this is I'm how learning, like the diaspora is. Yeah. The funny thing is, is like this whole. I've been thinking about camp for the past few days, like in the lead up to this episode. And this really bizarre thing was happening where I could like smell areas of camp. Like I thought about, I sort of like went mm. in my head. I was like, okay, obviously the, the the campfire area, but I was like the dining hall, and I like smelled that specific smell, like the the water ski place, the ever like all. Given these... my experience with the latrine door, thing. yeah, same that. thing, I, same I thing. <laughs> but like I could smell the rec hall, and I was just like, wow, these these memories seep into your brain. I mean, I spent I spent eight summers at camp for eight weeks. Oh yeah, wow. ten ten months for two. Do you wow. guys have that? Did they say that in Israel? They say that in the JCC Manhattan. 
I'm going to turn this over a little bit to the listeners uh, for Mazel Tovs. Our uh, super fan Jeffrey Grossman wants to send the Mazel Tov to his friends Marianne Tatum and Harvey Nabolsky, who are both in the klezmer band uh, Orchestra Farfalla. And another listener, Ahuva Odenheimer Bergman, sends a Mazel Tov to her fellow listener Sippy Pearl Turner, who Sippy with her, Pearl Turner, who, back. who with her husband Ian uh, are celebrating at some point this summer their 25th wedding anniversary. Because they met at camp. Because they met at summer camp um, in Phoenix, where summer temperatures. <laughs> Now 188 degrees. <laughs> right, where airplanes can't take off. Um, uh, and just on a more personal note, a Mazel Tov, they, they don't listen to the show, but to my daughters, Rebecca and Ellie, uh, I'm going to miss them, but also not yeah, miss but them. Be, but, you're okay. <laughs> but you're going to that martini cellar. Yeah. Oh, wherever Jordana <laughs> Horde, wherever they're swinging in Jersey, that's where I'm having my martini tonight. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. Write to us at unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Sign up for our newsletter. We haven't made fun of newsletter signer uppers in a while. We're going to get back to that. Sign up for the newsletter. Sign your friend up for the newsletter. Our executive producers are Alyssa Goldstein and Shira Talushkin, and our show is edited by Noah Levinson. Our wonder intern, or if you're Yiddish, our wonder intern is Sophie Aresti. Our music is by Golem. Rabbinic supervision this week by our correspondent, Rabbi Rachel Cobran. Kosher slaughtering by Travis Kalanick. Does he say Kalanick? Kalanick? Kalanick. I'm call Uber's Travis former CEO, Kalanick. Travis Kalanick. We record at Argo Studios, which has a pre-existing condition, and we're proud to be part of the Panoply Network. Shalom, friends. This is on a bus back from camp. I'm 13, and so are you. Before I left for camp, I imagined it would be me and three or four other dudes I hadn't met yet running around all summer getting into trouble. Turned out it'd be me and just one girl. That's you.